We are in Romans chapter 8, and our focus tonight is going to be verses 17 and 18. Uh, Just for the sake of context, let me start in verse 12, so we recall uh, the context of which uh, Paul's writing here. So we'll start in verse 12, but again, our focus tonight is going to be verses 17 through 18, okay? Paul writes, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And now here we are, verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That is going to be our focus tonight. Let me pray one last time as we ask for God's grace as we approach his word. Lord God, we come to you humbly knowing that we need you. God, I need you even in, in this hour. Lord, I pray you would strengthen me, that you would guide my tongue, that you would... Uh, Lord, help me in my weakness. I pray I would not get in the way of your truth. But Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. You would convict our hearts. That we would worship you. That you would change us, our hearts tonight, God. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, many of you guys probably know that I... Uh, I, have two young, I have an older brother and I have two younger siblings. And they're quite a bit younger than I. And uh, younger than me, younger than I, me. I don't know, me, thank you, younger than me, I don't know why I said that, uh, younger than us, me, anyways, uh, it got to a point where, you know, I was in my teens, I guess, early teens, and my parents wanted to start leaving, you know, us uh, in charge of our parents, you know, when they go out, like, okay, we don't need to hire a babysitter now, you guys are old enough to watch your little siblings, uh, but they, the requirement, and what they made me and my older brother do, is Take a certified babysitting class. And so I took a certified babysitting class. It was wonderful. Uh, I learned all kinds of things. CPR, which I've never done on someone. Uh, All kinds of first aid. I learned practical things. Like when you put a pot or pan on the stove, you don't leave the handle sticking out. Like you keep the handle facing in, you know, so they don't reach in. All these like, oh, Melanie, you're like, that's why the boiling water burned my head. <laughs> so we, we learned all kinds of things like that. It was wonderful. And that, and then at the end of the class, I got certified. Yeah. Official babysitter. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know, I know. And so with that, my, you know, a few years later, my parents suggested Hey, you should make some money babysitting. Like, instead of just babysitting your siblings, go around the neighborhood or whatever and see, you know, like, if you can babysit and tell them, I'm certified. Here's my certification. Uh, and sure enough, I, I said, okay, sure, I, I can use some extra cash. And so I went next door and uh, I asked if they needed a babysitter. And they're like, yes, <laughs> because all of our other babysitters have quit. Oh, I'm like, great, I would love to do it. That's a great story. 
And they said, we'll give you this amount of money. I was like, sweet. It was a lot of money at the time. Uh, it would buy you like one gallon of gas today. Anyways. Uh, and so I watched them. There was like three or four of them. And they were absolute demon children. <laughs> I, 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 we do not have the time for me to tell you all the craziness that happened. But I remember, like, it was awful. It really, really was awful. I mean, things breaking, people, you know, screaming, hitting, blood, I mean, everything. And through the chaos, I was calculating in my head how much I would be paid at the end. And then I smiled. And I realized, there's a lot of money. And I realized, at the end of this few hours, whatever it was, I would now have enough money to finally buy the Raiders jersey I always wanted. I had not owned one yet, and I wanted a Charles Woodson jersey. So bad. You don't know who that is. That's okay. And so the whole time, through all the pain, through all the disaster, I kept my sights on the jersey. (laughs) And I said, I am going to have that jersey at the end. And sure enough, I did. And in, in some ways, as silly as it might seem, the Christian life can be very similar. See, I, I was confident that at the end of the day, I would have that jersey in my hands. And sure enough, I drove to Sports Authority and I bought that jersey. Sports Authority. Sports Authority. For the Christian, we have great hope of what is to come. We have a great inheritance waiting for us. And we can have confidence in that inheritance. And that confidence can become a great help during the pains and the suffering of our day. But Paul says here in verse 17, if children, then heirs. So if children, then heirs. And the if here, it doesn't convey the idea of a, a possibility. Like if, maybe, you know, I don't know. Like as if there's a doubt. But this if is better understood as, as because That it's a reality that because you are children, remember the context, he said that you are children of God. And so he's saying because you are children, then you are heirs. Now, what does it mean to be an heir? What does that mean? He says that you're an heir. See, to, to be an heir means that you are legally entitled to receive something from another, typically from an ancestor. It means that you have an inheritance. And to have an inheritance is usually a good thing. It's usually something that we can look forward to. But that's not always the case. Why not? Well, because it depends on the source. Who is the inheritance coming from? It depends on the reliability of the source. Can you count on receiving this inheritance? It depends on the content. Is this inheritance even good? Well, tonight we're going to see that those who are children of God have an eternal inheritance waiting for them. And it is good. And it is a good inheritance. And having our minds set on our inheritance changes dramatically how we live and how we view our life here on earth. Now, to be clear... This inheritance we're going to talk tonight is for the Christian. This inheritance is for the child of God only. What we describe tonight is 
Not for the unbeliever. It's for the Christian and the Christian only. All right, so we have a lot to go look at in just these couple verses. Let's jump right in. The first is the source of our inheritance. We're going to look at two aspects here of the source of our inheritance. The first is that all children of God are heirs of God. We look at the source of our inheritance and we see that all children of God are heirs of God. He says in verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God. What does that mean? What does it mean that all children of God are heirs of God? What does it mean that we are an heir of God? We're going to look at two things here, two aspects of what it means that all children of God are heirs of God. The first is that God is the source. God is the source. Our inheritance comes from him. Paul makes this clear in Colossians 3.24. He says that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. From the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. That it is only God who can give this. Remember the rich young ruler? What does he do? He goes up to Jesus and what does he ask? He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? I do to inherit eternal life. The answer is nothing. You cannot do anything to inherit eternal life. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot earn a relationship with God. You cannot earn eternal life. Salvation, eternal life, our inheritance is a gift given by God alone. I cannot give it to you. Your parents cannot give it to you. I, I would love to give my son eternal life, but I can't. You cannot obtain it on your own efforts. But it must be given by God, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it is God who gives. And it is God who chooses whom he will give it to. He has chosen his children before the foundations of the world, says Ephesians 1.4 and Matthew 25.34. It's not that we offered something great to him that we said, all right, God, now look, I got all my ducks in a row. Now look at how good of a life. Look how much better I've gotten. Look how much I've grown. Look how much I've done for the church now. It's not that all of this. And then he chooses to adopt you and give you eternal life. He says, okay, now that you've made the cut, then I'll choose to adopt you. No, if you are in Christ, he has chosen you before the foundations of the world. So please, Christian, understand and, and remember that you did nothing to earn your right standing with God. And understand that you are doing nothing to maintain it, even today, but it's still by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you in which you are secure. Not your own works. It is God in His great grace who has chosen you. It's God in His great grace who has adopted you and who has given you eternal life. And still by His grace, it is God who will bring you to glory. But do not become prideful. Do not become self-righteous. But instead recognize and remember that it is God who is the source of your inheritance. And it is Him that we must always give thanks. <clears throat> not only is God the source, as we look at all children of God are heirs of God, not only is God 
the source, our inheritance comes from him, but also God himself is our inheritance. God himself says we are heirs of God, that he himself is our inheritance. And this is really a striking statement and is an amazing truth for the Christian. See, not only does the Christian receive the inheritance from God, but they also receive God himself as their inheritance. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at what scripture says. The psalmist says, whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. Jeremiah wrote, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. John said in the book of Revelation that he shall dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be among them. See, the greatest blessing and gift and inheritance that the Christian will, will receive is the very presence of God. He is our portion. We will be with God in sweet, perfect communion. I think much like Adam and Eve had before the fall. A, a, a type of closeness and union that we, in the remnants of our sinful flesh, we, we can't experience yet. But one day we will receive our full inheritance and we will be with God. And we receive a flavor, I think, of that, of the presence of God as he's, he's omnipresent. But one day we will dine with, we will commune with God. Do you long for that, Christian? Do you long to be in the very presence of God? You know, it goes back, maybe you've heard this before. It goes back to the age-old question. I think a good one, though. Would you want to be in heaven if God were not there? Would you want to be in heaven if God weren't there? If you could have the streets of gold, if you could have a place with no pain, with no tears, if you could have the full buffet table, if you could be spared the eternal flames of hell, but God's not there? Would you want to be there? Would you still want to be in heaven if he was not there? Do you just desire heaven because it's, it's the clear, better picture over hell? Like, yeah, out of these two options, I'll take heaven over hell. Or do you desire heaven because you desire God? Do you see the difference? Because you want to be with him. Because you want to be at his throne, worshiping him, praising him for all of eternity. So you see, that's where I want to be. In the presence of my God. And I want to worship him. That is our inheritance, Christian. God himself. And not only that, but he goes on. To say, if children then heirs, heirs of God and what? Fellow heirs with Christ. So secondly, we see that all children of God are heirs with Christ. All children of God are heirs with Christ. Again, we'll look at a couple aspects here. To be heirs with Christ means a couple things. First, it means that we share in the inheritance of Christ. Just as Christ is the Son of God, we too, Christian, are sons and daughters of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Him. 
Now, let's be clear. We are not gods, as Jesus is God. We are not Jesus, and we don't deserve worship and praise like Jesus does. Okay, So that's not what we're saying. But even so, we receive the inheritance of Jesus, and we share in his inheritance as we are children of God. And so we receive all the blessings and all the riches that are found in Jesus Christ. One of which, as we discussed last time, is that being a child of God, now we have the right to call out to God as Abba Father. Remember that from last time? That this great, supreme, holy, so far above us God is now close and intimate and Father. And we can call him Daddy. He is our Father, just as He is Christ's Father, because we are co-heirs with Christ. And secondly, it means that it is only through Christ that we indeed have the inheritance. As we said earlier, the source of our inheritance is from God, but it is through Christ and His finished work in which it is accomplished, you see. It is through Christ's perfect life, his substitutionary death, and his victorious resurrection that we can have this inheritance. It is faith in Jesus Christ as we can be justified, just as Ethan brought us back to tonight. Thank you, Ethan. It is our union with Christ in which we are co-heirs with him in our inheritance. There is no future glory. There is no eternal life. There is no inheritance outside of Jesus Christ. So if you are looking anywhere outside of Christ, you will be lost forever. If you are not a Christian, I urge you to come to Christ, who is our hope. Now that's the source of our inheritance. Let's move on to the promise of our inheritance. We see two promises of our inheritance. The first promise that we see is the promise of future glory. As he says that we may also be glorified with him. And as it says at the end with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There is a promise of future glory. Now what is this future glory? That is promised to the Christian. What exactly is this inheritance that the Christian will receive? Now, there's a lot that we can talk about. We're going to keep it somewhat brief tonight as we look at the future glory for the Christian. Okay, first is that Christian, we will have a heavenly home. Jesus speaks of this in John 14. He says that in his father's house, there are many rooms that he is preparing a place for us and that he will come back and take us to be with him. Christian, this is not our home. This is our temporary living space. And we are on mission here as we are sojourners traveling through until one day we will be home. Our home is in heaven with God. And he has prepared a place for us that we would live forever. So Christian, do not live as if this is your home. Do not live as if this is your final stop. This is just the beginning. And in this home that is waiting for us, Jesus speaks of a banquet being prepared for us. 
Now, whether that's a literal banquet or not, the idea is that of, of being around a dinner table with Jesus and with other believers. I mean, think of, I don't know, maybe, maybe this isn't a good memory for you, but th- for me, like, think, think of Thanksgiving. You know, like you're there and everyone's there. We're all together and, and, and there's food and, and there's joy and there's laughter and there's fullness and there's fellowship. And it's just like, I love it. You're around the table. We will be around the table with Christ and with other believers who have come before us. This is what is waiting for us, Christian. And not only that, but in this home, there will be no tears and there will be no pain and there will be no death and there will be no mourning, says Revelation 20. You see, suffering will be put to an end and the effects of sin will be no more. I hope you long for that day, Christian. Next, Christian, that we will rule with Christ. That is part of our glory, is that we will rule with Christ. In Christ, there is victory. And while we see the victory displayed in the resurrection, yes, one day, though, Christ will return and he will bring final consummation to his victory. All Christians in their union with Christ share in his victory. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.12 that if we endure, we will also reign with him. There is no fear in Christ. For we know that the we know what the end entails. And it entails final victory with him. Even when it may seem like we're losing, we can have confidence that we have victory in Christ. Next in our glory, Christian, we will be like Christ. We will be like Christ. John writes in 1 John. That when Christ appears, we shall be like him. We won't be Christ, but we will be made like him. Is that not what we strive for today, Christian? Do you not strive for Christ's likeness? Do you not strive to become more and more like Christ? One day we will be like him. Do not grow frustrated with your sin. Do not hate the sin that resides. Do not strive to become more and more like Christ. One day, Christian, we will live without sin. Now remember, as we've looked in Romans, we've been freed from the bondage of sin. Yes. But sin still resides in the flesh. But one day, that will all be gone. We will have resurrected bodies and we will be like Christ and we will have no sin. And lastly, and the greatest of all, Christian, is that we will be in the presence of God. As mentioned earlier, there is no greater gift than God himself. While everything else is wonderful, yes, it doesn't come close to being in the very presence and in perfect communion with God. You see, this glory awaits us, Christian. And you can count on it. You can have confidence in it. You can be assured that if you are indeed in Christ, if you are indeed a child of God, that this inheritance awaits you. This ought to give you great hope. This ought to give you great boldness now to live for God. No Christian that with great assurance 
you have an inheritance. That you have the promise of future glory. That's very important for us to understand that and keep that in our, in our head as we get to the next point. Because the next promise is the promise of present suffering. See, that is the promise of our inheritance. We have the promise of future glory, yes, but we also have the promise of present suffering. He says, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We cannot talk about glory without talking about suffering. Because the path of glory involves suffering. How do we know this? Because those who will reach glory are Christians, right? And those who are Christians will suffer. While glory is promised to the Christian, suffering is also promised to the Christian. Now, suffering Paul talks about can be referring specifically to suffering for Christ, the persecution for Christ, but it's not limited to that. I believe he's also referring just to suffering from natural causes in life. The Christian should expect suffering. It's promised to him. John says, uh, sorry, Jesus says in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. He also says that if the world hates you, remember what? That it hated me first. The New Testament epistles are littered with promises that the Christian will indeed suffer. Scripture is full of the idea and promise that the true Christian will receive suffering to some degree or another. Christian is something that you should expect. And is something that is promised to you. In fact, we even see it here in this verse. Paul says, provided we suffer with him. This word provided, it gives the idea of because you will. Because you will suffer with him is what he's saying. That there will be suffering, Christian. It is God's will that you suffer. And that suffering will look different for different people. Some suffer in greater ways and some suffer lesser. But we should expect suffering. You might suffer for the sake of Christ. Maybe specifically suffer for him. That because of your faith, because you make a decision, a, a stand to live for God, it will result in suffering for you. Look at Joseph as an example. He made a decision, a stand to say, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to honor God. I'm not going to sleep with Potiphar's wife. I'm not going to do it. And what did that lead to? Prison. Now, you might also suffer because of just the natural consequences of living in a fallen world. The Christian's not kept from that. The, the, the Christian's not kept from, from sickness and, and death and poverty and injustice and disappointment or any other difficulties in life. We must understand it's not always God's will that you be kept from these things. But it very well may be God's will that you suffer. And this just flies in the face of the prosperity gospel. There is a false gospel that, that is prevalent in America right now that says God's will is that you are healthy. And it is that you are wealthy. And they teach that if you have enough faith that you can 
speak wealth into existence. If you have enough faith, you, you can speak health into existence because God has a full bank just, just waiting for you to withdraw from it. And he's just there, and, he, and he's just saying, all you have to do is just name it and claim it. All you have to do with faith is just say, God, give me those riches. Give me that promotion. Give me good health. And God's just there waiting to give it because that's his will. That's what he wants. And this false gospel ignores the fact that it is good for us to suffer. And that it very well may be God's perfect will that we suffer. And this false gospel denies suffering for the Christian and it preaches that you're meant to live your best life now. As if this life is is the life to live for. And that your best life involves good health. And your best life involves riches on earth. And I'm not saying that God never wants you to be healthy. I'm not saying God never wants you to be wealthy. Those things are fine. But that is not our end goal here in life. And that is not God's end goal for us either. Sometimes I think we act like the prodigal son and we say, God, I want my full inheritance right now. And I want everything that is promised to me in heaven. I want it right now here on earth. But we must remember that our inheritance is laid up for us in heaven. It's in heaven. And maybe this seems obvious, but we don't always live as if it's true. Because oftentimes we're surprised when life gets difficult. And we act as if we should be living in glory right now. We shouldn't. Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. Don't act as if something strange is happening to you. Our inheritance is stored up for us in heaven. Don't act as if you should be in glory now. Now, I'm not saying that there are no promises of God that we don't experience today. We do. We do experience his blessings. We do experience his promises today. We know that God is with us. We know that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We know that he has what's best for us always. We know that he gives us peace that surpasses all understanding. And more and more, we we know these promises. And we can trust these promises. And we live it and experience it today. But my point is that the Christian is not promised that they will be without any suffering here on earth. But rather they're promised that they will suffer. And That they will be given the grace to go through it. Christian, do not run away at the sight of suffering. I think too often we, we avoid suffering without realizing that that suffering might be exactly what God wants us to go through. Do you consider your suffering as a blessing? You consider it as a blessing. I'm, I'm not suggesting that your suffering is easy. Indeed, it's, it's not. It's, it's, it's difficult. That's why it's called suffering. But it can be difficult and a blessing at the same time. The more we suffer, the more we depend on Christ rather than our own strength. Is that not a blessing? The more we suffer, the more we're brought to our knees in prayer and are drawn to his throne of grace. Is that not a blessing? 
The more we suffer, the more we understand the deep pains and sufferings that Christ endured on our behalf. Is that not a blessing? We're so often advised that, that, that we need to do whatever possible to rid ourselves of our suffering in our lives. That, that, that our decisions should be based on whatever makes us happiest. That, that whatever makes us feel good, that's how we should make our decisions. When in reality, it is often the very difficulties that God uses to bring us growth and to make us more like Christ. We're going to look at that in verses 28 and 29. I can't get too much into it. But we ought to, by the grace of God, work through our sufferings. Work through them. Instead of trying to avoid them. Do you ever find yourself choosing to not live for the Lord for fear of the suffering that it may bring? You know what I'm saying? I have. You find yourself choosing to say, man, I'm not going to have this conversation, even though I know this probably I should speak truth. I'm not going to because I know how they're going to react. I don't want that right now. I don't need that in my life. You ever choose to say, man, I, I know that this group of friends is a bad influence and is, is distracting me from the Lord, but I, I, they're my friends. I don't have any other friends. So I, it's fine. I'm just going to try to be a light. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you, do you ever make these kinds of decisions that, 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 that you choose not to live for the Lord because of fear of the suffering that it will bring? Do we know what suffering for Christ even means? I don't know that we do. We are beyond blessed with the freedoms that we have here in this country. And don't get me wrong, I am so thankful for these freedoms. And I pray these freedoms will not be taken from us. I love that I can preach to you guys without fear that, that someone's going to come in and arrest us. But in some ways, these freedoms are harmful to the church in America. We believe suffering for Christ is sacrificing an hour and a half of our week on Sunday mornings, sitting in, on comfortable chairs in an air-conditioned room. And we say, man, I'm suffering because I gave up an hour and a half of my week. We believe suffering for Christ is, is choosing to put down our phones for 30 minutes and read our Bibles instead. And we say, oh, man, I'm suffering for God because I could have been on TikTok, but I'm reading the Bible instead. Man, I'm suffering for Christ. I'm not saying going to church and reading your Bible is wrong. Of course not. But I challenge you, Christian, suffer for Christ. Really suffer for Christ. Live in such a way that it invites persecution because the way you live is not the way of the world, but it's the way of Christ. Live with boldness, Christian. Not fearful of the suffering, but instead expecting suffering while at the same time hopeful and confident of the glory that is awaiting you. Now lastly, we look at the perspective of our inheritance. And only one point for this. The perspective of our inheritance. And that is this. To consider that it is not worth comparing. Consider it is not worth comparing. Paul says that our present suffering is not even worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. I love this verse. I find great comfort in this verse. 
You understand what he's saying? He's saying this. He's saying it shouldn't even be on the same scales, right? Imagine scales and you're, you're, you're balancing out the weight. He says it doesn't even make sense to weigh them together. It doesn't even make sense to compare them. Why are you comparing them? It doesn't even come close. Now, Paul's not minimizing our suffering. He's not saying just get over it. Guys, I want to acknowledge our suffering is real. I know some of you suffer greatly. Suffering is agonizing. It's hurtful. Suffering is heavy. It's not that our suffering is not weighty. It is weighty. It is. And it weighs those scales down deep. I know some of you have deep, deep pains and hurts. And when you put it on that scale, man, it weighs down. And you're like, this is low. Like, it is, it's heavy. But Paul suggests that when you place the weight of our eternal glory on those scales, the suffering flies in the air as if it's weightless. That's what he's saying. He's saying, yeah, your suffering weighs a lot. But you put on the glory, boom, it flies up. It's like it's weightless. This is the mindset we ought to have in regard to our suffering and our glory. We need to put it in perspective. You guys remember? Some of you guys know the old dot in the line, huh? Classic. Classic. Let's do it real quick, okay? Everyone on your piece of paper. At the very bottom, right? The teeniest, tiniest little dot you can. As tiny as you can, I'm telling you. Draw the tiniest dot. And then draw a line that goes all the way up the paper and draw an arrow at the end, right? A little carrot at the end of that. Because what that means, if you're a geometry guy, which I'm not, but I think this is correct, Damon, right? It means it keeps going. Forever. Forever. It doesn't stop, right? If there's another dot, it'd stop. But with that arrow, it means it just keeps going and going, right? Easy thing to remember. That dot is our entire life. Maybe you're going to live to be 12 years old. Sorry, Dottie. Or maybe... I had to tell you something. Or maybe, let's just say it's 80. Let's say it's 80. Okay, everyone says 80 these days. I think. All right, all right, all right. That dot, let's say it's 80 years. And you're suffering. That is heavy. I'm not denying that. It's a little piece inside that tiny dot. It is, right? And then look at all, look at all that line. And it keeps going. And if we had an infinite amount of paper, it would keep going. And that's eternity. And Paul's saying, why, why are we even comparing this? Why are we comparing the, the, the little tiny dot inside your little tiny dot? Compared to glory. He's saying, no, 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 it's not even worth it. <coughs> You're having a mindset that is set on the glory to come. Instead of the present suffering, it dramatically changes how you live your life. Because the truly heavenly-minded person is used by God in mighty ways because they've broken free of the shackles of the world that weighs down to live for this life, to live for the here and now. We say, I don't need to live for this. I have glory. Those who are confident in their citizenship in heaven, those who live for God's kingdom and not for the kingdom of this world, they live in great boldness and sacrifice for the Lord. Let me just look at the example of Paul. He was brought up to the third heaven, it says in 2 Corinthians, right? He's brought to the third heavens, and he saw a glimpse of eternity. Just a glimpse. He couldn't speak of it. He could not describe it. He couldn't even fathom it. But he got an inside look, a glimpse of the glory that is to come. 
What was his response? He played Minecraft the rest of his life. <laughs> no! No, you, you don't cheer for that, Robbie. There's no bad one to cheer for. He did it. That'd be ridiculous if he's like, that's glory. And he's like, man, I got I to play Minecraft. For my Amen, life. brother. No. We got to talk to them in discussion groups. That's bad. Look at how he lived his life. He sees glory. How does he live his life? He poured himself out for God. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He had dangers from all over. He was in need of food. He was in need of shelter. And so on and so forth. Now why would he go through this kind of suffering? Because he's seen it. Because he knows the glory that is to come. And he knows that the present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that be to reveal. So when he's getting whipped and whipped and whipped. And when he's getting stoned. And when he's getting shipwrecked. And when he's getting beaten by rods. He remembers. I've seen it. I know what's coming. I'm okay with it. So he lived his life. He lived his one life here on earth to the fullest. That is a living sacrifice to God. As he'll say in Romans 12. Christian, do you believe the glory to come? Do you believe that it's not even worth comparing to the present sufferings? Then live like it. Live in great boldness. Live for the Lord in everything. Don't live for the riches of this world. Don't live for the here and now. Live for Christ. Why spend your time gathering up riches here on earth when you have indescribable and immeasurable riches waiting for you in heaven? One day, everything on this earth will perish. It will fade away. It will all burn. But in great contrast, Peter writes, we have an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. What are you truly living for? The things of this earth? Do you flee from suffering? Is your greatest goal a comfortable, fun, easygoing life? Or are you willing to give it all for Christ? Are you seeking to live for Christ no matter the consequence? Because you are confident of the glory that is to be revealed. As we close, I want to end with some questions for us to reflect on. What is your inheritance? What is waiting for you in eternity? If you're not a Christian, I know there are some in here who are not a Christian. If you are not a Christian... The inheritance in which we've been talking about tonight, it does not apply for you, to you. It is not for you. However, the Bible does talk about the inheritance for the non-Christian. We looked at it earlier in Romans. It says what? The wages of sin is death. If Christ has not paid for your sins, then you will receive the wage of your sin in eternal wrath. Ephesians 2.3 says that the non-Christian is what? By nature, a child of wrath. This is your inheritance, non-Christian. God's wrath for all of eternity. 
That is what your eternity looks like. The wrath of God in which you have earned through your own sin is waiting for you for all of eternity. And you cannot go to youth group and go to church and do good things or say the right things to remove this wrath from your account. But there is hope. And that hope is in Jesus Christ. And that hope is in His finished work, that he lived the perfect life, the life that we needed to live. And he died the death that we deserve. And he rose three days later, conquering sin and death. And by his grace, we place our faith in him, faith in his finished work, and repent of our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Now, if you are a Christian, Remember, the wrath is gone. Christ bore your wrath on the cross so that you don't have to, Christian. In exchange, you receive his inheritance. And so we are co-heirs with Christ. And you have eternal life waiting for you. Do you find joy in that? Do you have hope in that? Does that not give you great purpose to live your life for the glory of God? So Christian, I I ask you just a few questions, and I include myself in these. Just a few questions. First is this, that if we know our inheritance is in heaven, we know that, and it's not on earth, then why do we live for the things of earth? Why are the things of earth, whether it be reputation or, or fun or success or worldly pleasures or whatever it is, why is that so important to us? Why do we sacrifice so much to ensure that we obtain these things? Our inheritance is not here. So why do we live as if it is? Live for the kingdom in which you are a citizen of. Your inheritance is in heaven. So live for that kingdom. Secondly, Christian, if if we know that suffering is promised to us in this life, if we know that, we know, yeah, I'm going to have suffering, then why do we act surprised when trials come? Why do we avoid suffering for Christ? Why do we choose the easiest and most comfortable path? We know that suffering, to to one degree or another, is part of God's will for our life. But don't be surprised. Don't act as if God's forgotten you. Or or as if he's taking a break and, and he's off his throne. No, God is still on his throne. And he does have what's best for you. That is a promise. Christian, suffering is not the end of the path. Glorious. The rest assured that this is not the end. Suffering is temporary. Glory is eternal. And last question I'll ask, have you considered the truth found in this passage? Have you considered it? Paul says, for I consider the suffering of this present time is not, not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed. Christian, I invite you to consider Consider, is it not true? Is not the glory that is to be revealed astronomically greater than the present suffering that we endure today? Consider it. Ponder it. Meditate on it. Trust it. Because in it we can find great joy and contentment. How did Paul, as he says, learn to be content in all things? He considered this. He was heavenly minded. 
not earthly minded. So consider this as well, Christian. I will end with this. For real. (laughs) I've I've mentioned this before, but I think it's so fitting for for this message and this passage. I think it helps put perspective on our life here on earth and the eternity that waits us. If you are not a Christian, this life here on earth is the closest that you will ever get to heaven. You understand that? This life is the closest you will get. This is your best life now. Apart from the work of Christ in your life, you'll never be closer to heaven than you are right now in this life. This is it. And it only gets worse. If you are a Christian, this life here on earth is the closest you will ever get to hell. This is the worst that it gets. And even so, look how blessed we are. But from here on out, after this life, it only gets better. See, the non-Christian's heaven is the Christian's hell. Christian, we have yet to experience our full inheritance. Heaven is waiting for us. Our Savior, our Creator is waiting for us at His banquet. I hope that gives you great hope and confidence and joy to boldly live for Him. Consider this. Consider this truth. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for this truth. Thank you, God, that you have adopted us as your children, and in that we are heirs. God, we have a great inheritance in you. And God, even the the suffering that is promised to us, I pray that that the glory that is to be revealed would, would comfort us and give us great boldness to endure the suffering and to live for you no matter the cost. God, for those in here who do not know you, Lord, I pray you would save them. I pray that you would adopt them, that you would bring them to yourself, that they would see the goodness and the grace and the mercy found in you. Lord, be with us in our time of discussion. Let it be honoring and glorifying to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.